highest praise. We come to you today to worship you, to hear you, to engage you, and to engage each other. We know you're present with us. Be glorified in all that we do in this hour together, and we ask this through Christ. Amen. Take a moment, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with those who are here in worship today. begins with a shoebox gift and then the greatest journey is just about to start it's this unique 12 lesson discipleship program that teaches children about the bible and jesus christ in more than 60 languages in 75 countries it's an opportunity really for children to lay a firm foundation for a life and faith set on their savior kids learn that they're new creations in Jesus Christ, that God saves them from their sins forever. They memorize Bible verses and learn how to follow them each day. They even learn to share their faith in Christ with others. And then, children receive a Bible in their own language when they graduate from this unique discipleship experience. And for hundreds of thousands of children around the world... The adventure of faith in Christ is just beginning. And that is the greatest journey. That's a part, all a part of Operation Christmas Child. Today's the last day to turn in your shoebox if you haven't yet. You can, anytime today, you can leave it on the foyer in the Christian Education Building or just drop it by the church office doors. Tomorrow we'll be taking them to the distribution center. I want to thank everyone who has already brought a box and those of you who will be bringing them. Uh, it's, you never, it's hard to know what is going to happen when a child receives a box, but there are so many stories of great things that have happened. And so we are excited to be a part of this uh, worldwide endeavor. Uh, tonight, we have the privilege of hearing the children's choir sing for us. They're doing a program called The Music Machine. I think that's what this thing here is about. I'm not sure what this thing is going to do, but I've heard a few stories that it could be interesting. And uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, we'd love to have you here, support our children as they sing. And this whole musical is about the fruit of the Spirit, what we've been talking about for the last couple of months. So uh, come tonight at 5 here in the sanctuary and to support our kids and, and enjoy this music as they challenge us through it. Next Sunday morning, um, a couple of things, or next Sunday... Next Sunday morning, we will be uh, having our annual food collection for the food pantry. There's an insert in your bulletin with all kinds of things that will be helpful for the food pantry. We have been helping so many families lately. I think nine families we've helped just the last two weeks, and that represents more than 50 people. And so we, we, the, the demand is high. We want to continue to help folks. Your contributions are a great uh, assistance to us. So whatever you can bring next week, bring it to church with you, and uh, we will collect it and then get it to the food pantry. This is the last week of the prayer vigil, the three weeks we've been praying together. So if you haven't yet been, had a chance to get into the prayer room, let me encourage you to sign up today. You can sign up right after the service, anytime online as well, just through the church website. But let me, I want to encourage you to, to be a part of this, to take an hour, go into the prayer room. If you haven't yet, if you have, uh, go again. We're already hearing some great stories of what God is doing 
uh, through our times of prayer. And next Sunday night at 5 o'clock will be the conclusion of the prayer vigil. And at the conclusion of that, we will be gathering here in the sanctuary for some sharing, singing, um, and uh, just hearing some of the stories that God's been doing. And then about halfway through that, we will then go to the community room and we're going to have what we're calling a fruit potluck. Uh, as we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit and praying about the fruit of the Spirit, it seemed appropriate to come together for some kind of food and to have it be involve fruit. So we got the nine fruit that we've been talking about uh, throughout uh, this whole series. And um, we would love to have you bring some dish. If, please come, even if you don't have the ability to bring a dish. Just come. We're going to enjoy some fellowship time together and, and eating. And we will also at that time distribute the recipe books that from the, the fruit as well, a lot of the recipes that you've contributed. And I saw a first copy. It looks awesome. And so uh, we hope you'll join us next Sunday. In a, about three weeks, we'll be having uh, baptism on Sunday evening. A few of you have talked to me about wanting to be baptized. If you'd like to be baptized, just let me know, and we will get you as a, in the schedule for that as well. There are always a lot of things for us to pray about, stuff here, things in our lives, things around the world. Of course, we want to continue to pray about the Philippines and God's grace upon the the people there in the very great tragedy, as well as other places of the world and the things that we all are dealing with ourselves. This time we're going to ask the ushers to come, and they're going to assist us as we give back to God from all the ways in which he has given to us. so proud my mind is so unfocused I see the things you do through me as great things I have done and now you gently break me then lovingly you take me and hold me as my father And mold me as my maker I ask you how many times will you pick me up When I keep on letting you down And each time I will fall short of your glory How far will forgiveness abound And you answer my child, I love you And as long as you're seeking my face, you'll walk in the power of my daily sufficient grace. At times I may grow weak and feel a bit discouraged, knowing that Someone somewhere could do a better job. For who am I to serve you? I know I don't deserve you, but that's the part that burns in my heart and keeps me hanging on. I ask you how. How far will forgiveness abound? 
Grace of God calls us, invites us to offer our prayers. As we pray together, if you'd like to come and kneel at the altar rail to offer your prayers, please join me. Father, it is an awesome and humbling thought that despite how often we fail you, your grace is sufficient for us. We come to this hour of worship, we come to this moment of prayer because you are good and merciful. Despite how often we fail, you love us. You call us to yourself. Lord, as we come today, led by your grace, we offer to you all the things that are weighing us, weighing down upon us, that are that are burdening us, the struggles, the pain, the unresolved conflict, all the stuff that we would like to see different. And we ask for your healing power in us physically and emotionally, spiritually, relationally. We pray, Father, that your spirit will work miraculously in us, individually, corporately. 
Father, we pray for this world in which we live and we, we see every day the pain and the heartache and the struggle of this world. We ask, Father, that these shoeboxes, small little tokens, would have an impact beyond what we could ever imagine. As children receive these boxes, use them some way to speak deeply into their hearts about your love for them and your love for their families and the towns where they live and the countries where their towns are situated, that there would be genuine, a genuine sense of transformation through your spirit just using these simple gifts. Father, we pray for the people in the Philippines and it, it's so difficult for us to, to understand what they're going through. The agony of loss, grief, pain, survival. We ask, Father, that your spirit would be evident amidst this tragedy in ways that we couldn't imagine. We pray that your people will be a beacon of light and a presence of hope. And Lord, help your people all around the world, including us, to see clear ways in which we can help. And that out of this tragedy, out of the pain and the loss, you will bring good as only you are able to do. Father, as we move into the last week of our prayer vigil, we ask for your mercy upon us. Not just into the prayer room to encounter you, to hear you, to speak to you, to know you. We pray that you will use these times of prayer to revolutionize each of us in our own spirits and as a, a body of believers and as a, a community and as surrounding towns and communities and beyond. Work in ways we couldn't have dreamed or imagined because we come to pray. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray that you will bind us together through your Holy Spirit. And may the unity that is ours in Christ be symbolized as we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Our scripture reading this morning is found in Genesis chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you will not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man and uh, called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" He said, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself." He said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" The man said, The woman whom you gave to, uh, gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with us. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the Christ is risen from the 
Please be seated. Some of you may be aware of a study that was done a number of years ago, I believe it was Stanford University, and it's been called the marshmallow test. It took uh, little children, three, four, five years old, put them in a room by themselves with a marshmallow and told them, if you don't eat the marshmallow, I'm going to be back in 15 minutes. And if you don't eat the marshmallow, when I come back, I'll give you another one. And they, of course, were watching these children uh, through a one-way mirror as these children struggled to decide whether they were going to eat the marshmallow or not. And uh, the results were that uh, two out of three of them ate the marshmallow. And um, I was reading, I was watching something online the other day, and um, I think the gentleman's name was Joaquin de de Posada. And uh, he was talking about this study, and he was talking about uh, how he had, how he, the, uh, what they're using to learn, learn from it. And he wondered, would the same thing happen, same results come out if he did it in other cultures, or is it just an American thing? So he went back to Colombia, where I believe he's from, and he ran the same, same study. And here are some clips of the children who were part of this study. Very funny. I used four, five, and six-year-old kids. And let me show you what happened. Hasta para un niño de cuatro años es atractiva la idea de tener el 100% de retorno a la inversión en 15 minutos. Sin embargo, algunos de ellos, tan pronto la puerta se cerró, se comieron el marshmallow inmediatamente. cambio, resistieron el impulso. Now, what was interesting is he kid. said that when that, was, um, when that was done, he said that uh, that little girl there who was sniffing it and you know, about to hyperventilate, I think, from it, she ate the inside of the marshmallow and left the outside so that it would look like she hadn't eaten it, <laughs> but she had eaten most of it. He said uh, this is also a, a thing about, about uh, how they measure success in life. And he said she's going to be really successful, but we're going to have to watch her. Uh, don't put her in banking or something like that. Um, 
the, I was thinking about, in relation to that, I was thinking today, I toyed with the idea of giving every one of you um, a little piece, a Hershey's Kiss or a cookie or something when you came in today and tell you, now don't eat that until after church and see how many of them were still left when we got to the end of the service. But I decided I wouldn't pressure you that much while we were here. The point is we, we all wrestle with self-control. I mean, it's, it's a part of our human existence. And sometimes we're better at it than other times. But as, as individuals and as a culture, a society, we wrestle with self-control. Now, we live in a culture in which there is a certain amount of, of desire and, and reward given to people who maintain self-control. There are, there, we, you know, we are pretty severe right now about uh, drunk driving. And about people who, who use drugs and that ends up hurting people. And about other ways in which self-control, people go into a rage and take someone's life. As a culture, we, we feel pretty strongly about that. But there are lots of things that we don't. And I suspect that when we think about self-control, most of us, the first thing, the first thing that comes to our mind is, the, is, the, is abstinence about something. We are, we are thinking, I've got to try to keep my passions in check. That's what self-control is for us. And to a certain degree, that's true. Scriptures tell us over and over again, talk to us about keeping our passions in check. In fact, right before Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says the acts of the sinful nature are debauchery, immorality, and impurity. Because one of the places where we see, probably we think about self-control and, and abstaining, keeping our passions in check, one of those places probably most predominant in our lives and culture and society is in the realm of sexuality. And, and we, we wrestle with self-control all through our lives about that. And the thing is, we have this sense of, when, when God talks about self-control, it's not just about sexuality. It's also about you know, things like um, alcohol. Paul tells the Ephesians, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. And he, he puts in... In contrast, those two things, because Paul knows what can happen when people let alcohol control them. In fact, the majority of the of violent crimes in our world today are alcohol-related. As people release their inhibitions and do things they would never do otherwise. Things like anger. Could we control our anger? Maybe that's what Paul means when he says, be angry, but don't sin. Because in one sense, anger can be good, but when it turns into rage, it's not. Maybe it's probably food to some degree. Where, you know, we, it's why fasting can be such a great thing, because it takes our mind off of being controlled by food. Ultimately, When we talk about self-control, in one sense, it is saying, I could do that, but I choose not to. I choose not to do that. I choose to to let that go. I I choose to go a different way. I choose to to control those instincts in me that want to do what, quite frankly, I know is wrong. And is harmful to me, ultimately. And often harmful to others. 
as well. But it isn't just about not doing things that are harmful. Self-control is also relates to some of the good things that we do and the way that they have that they can control us also. When you think about even just those things I mentioned, sex is a gift of God when it's in a relationship of marriage. Food is a gift of God. But when we become obsessed with it, it's a problem. Anger is a gift of God. When it's, when it's turned toward injustice, it leads to the kind of action that ought to happen. But often our anger is about vengeance. And so we, we need to understand that there are good things in our lives. And self-control says, I cannot let those things take over my life. Let me even add, move to a realm that might surprise you. I think we have to be careful in the, in the realm of self-control about things even like prayer, studying the scriptures, corporate worship. And you're saying, whoa, where is this going? If those things are more important to us than Jesus, then they're controlling us. Instead of them being the means to the end, which is relationship with Jesus, those things can become for us the end. And we, in a sense, worship studying the Bible and we worship praying and we worship corporate, worship, corporate gatherings like this. And, and we become so enamored with those things that, that they take on sort of a life of their own in us. And they control us. And we're more interested in doing those things than we are in letting those things lead us to Christ. And self-control addresses that. But you know, I, I still think Paul has something else in mind for us because all of that is, is to one degree or another something that culture agrees with. But when Paul says in, in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit, that what comes out of the lives of people who are walking in the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, he has to be meaning something different than just agreeing with everybody else in the world. What is it about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit that makes self-control different than how everyone else tends to see it to begin with? And I think it's this. That spirit-led self-control is surrendering control to the Spirit. Spirit-led self-control is surrendering control to the Spirit. If that isn't what Paul means, then what we have here is a list of nine characteristics... And eight of them can only be done through the power of the Spirit, but the ninth one can be done if we just work hard enough. If we can just master these problems, then we're good. But Paul says it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our self-actualization. The problem is we think if we just work harder, 
If we just, if we just plan more, if, if we prepare more, then we can conquer this on our own. And we cannot. If we could conquer all these things on our own, then we wouldn't need most, if any, of the 12-step programs. We wouldn't need accountability partners. We wouldn't need, ultimately, the Spirit. We just do it ourselves. And none of us are that good. None of us have that much power and ability. None of us have that much control over our lives. The only way we will ever see the fruit of self-control born out in our lives is if we surrender the control of our lives to the Spirit. And I'm not just talking about surrendering this particular thing, though we do that. Whatever the struggles may be particular to us. But I'm talking about life as a whole. Sometimes we get so focused on this sin that we're wrestling with. We think once we've conquered that, everything is good. But it's, it's what drives us. It's the things that we focus on and obsess on. We need to surrender all of that. To the Spirit. Now, this has been a problem for human beings from the beginning. That's why we read Genesis chapter 3 today. Now, I know that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Adam and Eve did not eat an apple in the Garden of Eden. I'm, I'm pretty sure that probably wasn't an apple. I don't know, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't an apple. But it has become so uh, recognized and, and so connected to them that the apple, we had to, when I thought about self-control, we had to choose the apple. Because in, our, in people's minds, that connects with what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And this apple represents as the fruit that they eat, the words of the serpent, who in essence, as the evil one, is saying to them, you don't need God. God's a weight around your life. God is a weight around your leg. He's dragging you down. If you eat this fruit, if you do what I, what I ask of you, what I tell you, what I'm tempting you to do, if you do this, you don't, we don't need God anymore. You will know everything. You will have everything that you want. You can control your own life. You can control your own destiny. You can have everything you want and you don't need God anymore. Why why would you want God to control your life when you can do it yourself? Just eat the fruit and take off on your own. And of course, it's all a lie. Because they're, they're thinking, if I eat this, then I'll find security. What they find is anything but. It says, when God came to, the writer says, when God came to meet with them, like he always did, what was their response? Fear. Something they had never experienced before. Fear. They didn't have freedom. Now, they were enslaved. And you and I wrestle with that same enslavement as we continually try to control our own lives, when all the while God is saying, let me control it. But it's hard for us. 
Mark Laverton in his book, The Dangerous Act of Worship, says that one day a guy came to see him at his church in Berkeley, California. And uh, he wanted to talk to him a minute because he, this man's wife, and he had been having conversations at night about her newfound faith in Jesus. And, and he came to, to Mark and he said, look, I'm, I'm busy, I'm successful, uh, I don't have a lot of time, I don't have a lot of energy to give to this, so just give it to me in a nutshell. What is this Christian thing about? Give me the bullet points and then I can move on. And Mark said, I, I could have given him some pamphlets to read, I could have given him some, some books to look at, but I didn't. I said to him, uh, I, don't think, I don't think that's what you want to do. I can tell you're very successful, you're busy, you know, you got a lot of things going on. I don't really think you want to hear what I have to say. I'm not going to give that to you. And I said, why? He said, because if I gave you those bullet points, if I talked to you about what the Christian faith is in a nutshell, and you really thought about it, and you really thought seriously about it, it would rock your world. It would force you to rethink everything about your life. It would mess you up. Because everything about Jesus is going to be contrary to this self-controlled life that you believe you're living. And it's going to make you rethink your, your, your own self, your relationships with your family and friends, your work. Everything about your life is going, to be, is going to be challenged if I give this to you. And I don't, quite frankly, I don't think you, you want that. Do you? I said, no, I really don't. That's what I thought. He stood there a moment and he said, but you know, maybe, maybe we ought to have that conversation. Start there. And the conversation went on. See, the reality is, we want to control. We don't want to let go. But God wants to control too. And as Lewis says in The Great Divorce, in the world there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. And the implications are eternal. We are continually wrestling with trying to control life and quite frankly trying to control God. Because we are more interested in a life that is safe and secure than we are in trusting God. That's why I've come to believe that one of, the, one of the great tenets of life is mystery and tension. We, we would like for everything to be wrapped up in a box, nice bow on it. We want to dot all the I's, we want to cross all the T's, we want to have everything perfect with God and with life. And quite frankly, God isn't going to do that for us. Because if everything in life works out perfectly, we will soon come to believe we don't need God anymore. And the minute we think we don't need God, we have cut ourselves off from the source of life and hope and joy and peace and everything that deep inside we really want. We just don't see it that way. The minute we don't need God means we've got our lives under control. Everything is fine. We'll take it from here. And what looks to us like everything is fine is not. And so God leaves us in life with tension and mystery and uncertainty. 
I think it's a lot of that. It's that stress and that tension and that uncertainty that leads often to the habits that we start. Life feels out of control. We don't like life to feel out of control. And so we try to find something that will help us think we've gotten it under control. And the reality is now this thing controls us. Our self-control ultimately is rooted in God. Whose very nature is defined by self-control. When you think about all the times in scripture. When God doesn't react to people the way they deserve. In Genesis 18, Sodom and Gomorrah is the most sinful place on earth. And God in his wisdom says, it's time for me to do something about that. And Abraham prays over and over again for God to not do it. And God says, I won't do it. I will relent of doing that. Just 10 good people there. Jonah goes to Nineveh and says, 30 days, this place is toast. Because you've, you've ignored God, you've rejected God, and the people repent of their sin, and God relents from what he's going to do. In Luke's gospel, there's a story where the, Jesus and his disciples are going into a Samaritan village, and they reject Jesus. And Peter and John, there's a reason they call them the sons of thunder. And Peter and, or James and John, they go to Jesus and say, hey, you want us to pray for God to rain down fire on this city for rejecting us? Jesus, I can see a look on Jesus' face, smile like, oh, really? Okay, guys, that's not how we do things. How many times do I have to tell you? And ultimately, on the cross, as the people who put him there mock him, degrade him, crucify him, the most natural thing in the world for Jesus to do is to look at them and say, you're going to get yours. But instead, the words from his mouth are, Father, forgive them. It's that spirit of self-control that is controlled by the Spirit that God is looking for, promising, wanting to raise up in each of us as we surrender ourselves to the Spirit. I was in the prayer room this week. I like to, I like to go late at night. It's quiet. And um, I, can, I can listen to music and you know, there's no, no other noises around. And I went in. I usually listen to some music when I start. It sort of helps me sort of prepare my heart to listen to God, to speak to God. And so I, I put on a CD and I was listening to some of the songs and one of the songs came along that I haven't heard for a long time. But it, it just caught my attention. It's one of the old spirituals. And as I began to think about this song and ponder the words to it, I, I remember thinking back to, to the slaves who were, whose lives were completely controlled by other people. Everything about their existence was controlled by someone else. And what was the response of the Christian slaves to sing songs like this? 
And the more I listened to that song and the, the more I pondered it, the more it just reached into my heart and grabbed me. And God said to me, that is exactly what I want to do in you. That's what I want your response to be. That's how I want you to live your life. Let go. Surrender. And just think about me. And it has just gripped me ever since. Maybe it will you as well. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am am alone, oh, when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have
Father, in this moment of silence, speak to us. Hear our prayers. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to see your love for us and your desires for us that might enable us to surrender more and more of ourselves, that we might be controlled by your spirit and know your fruits. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.